People are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, as opposed to once. Well, that has an interesting new meaning today, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, hi. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites except for Spotify. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, though I should make it clear to Spotify, if they wish to offer me $100 million, they too can have the Bradcast. <laughs> a bold welcome offer. To it. Yes, yes. Well, it's the least I can do. <laughs> Hi, Des. Hi. So I will, I will get to what I really want to talk about shortly. Although I don't know if I really want to talk about, but what I'm going to talk about shortly, uh, the latest evidence of just blatant crimes, blatant crimes by the former president of the United States that nobody, at least at the U.S. Department of Justice, seems capable of prosecuting for some reason. Uh, You know, for reasons that until and if they finally do, those reasons are completely unknown to me. And and that uh, at the same time, the corporate media. While reporting on these crimes, they seem to be falling over themselves to tell us that, oh, you know what, these aren't really crimes at all, or they're not that bad, or they can't be prosecuted for this reason or that. I don't know what the hell they are doing, and I don't know that they know what they are doing either, to be (laughs) frank. Uh, But uh, since that part of today's show is probably going to tick both you and me off, let's start with something that's much more fun, shall we? You you uh, you may have already heard this, but it I need I need a laugh today. This makes me laugh every <laughs> single time I hear it. We could all use a laugh, uh, especially before we get to some of this other stuff today. So here it is again during the uh, during her interview yesterday on the Wingnut MAGA channel called One America News, Georgia Congresswoman Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene claimed that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she was secretly using Capitol Police officers as, quote, pawns to send them into lawmakers' offices to, quote, investigate them secretly. 
uh, which is, of course, nonsense. And then she hilariously said this. Not only do we have the D.C. jail, which is the D.C. gulag, but now we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police <laughs> spying on members of Congress, spying on the legislative work that we do, spying on our staff and spying on American citizens that want to come talk to their representatives. This government has turned into something it was never meant to be, and it's time to make it end. It is. It is time to end the gazpacho police. <laughs> yes, you heard that correctly. No cold soup for anyone. The uh, Republican Accountability Project uh, tweeted tweeted that out yesterday. Said just to clear things up, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Gazpacho is a vegetable-based Spanish cold soup. Gestapo is Nazi Germany's secret police. John Berman, who I, I think is a comedian, uh, he he disagrees. He describes the Gazpacho police as a police force that only handles cold cases. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Uh, Jose Chef Jose Andres retweeted and added, uh, Dear Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Gazpacho Police was created by me in 1993 to make sure that no one will add Tabasco or jalapeno or strange things to my beloved soup. Please don't blame anybody else but me. Stop by for a glass anytime. Don't forget your mask and vaccination card. You know, she uh, there's a, a fine for not wearing your mask on the House floor. Apparently, Marjorie Taylor Greene has run up something like $100,000 worth of fines that are actually taken out of her paycheck by the Gazpacho police, no doubt. <laughs> the Guardian notes, Gazpacho police, Nazi gaff lands Republican congresswoman in the soup. John Fugelsang, our friend, uh, uh, comedian and radio host over on uh, Sirius XM, uh, tweets. And after she mentions the Gazpacho police, she calls Nancy Pelosi the minestrone of propaganda. And then Miss Mrs. Betty Bowers uh, on Twitter. Do you know Mrs. Betty Bowers on a satirical, very, very satirical, funny Twitter feed? Very funny. She calls herself America's best Christian. She says, "Breaking the Hamburglar has been arrested by the Gazpacho police and thrown into a goulash." <laughs> so there you go. That'll cheer you up for everything else that's to come, right? The Hill notes, by the way, Wednesday's gazpacho blunder wasn't Green's first attempt to compare Democrats and their policies to Nazis. She does this all the time. Yes, she does. In July, she compared a push by President Biden to ensure as many Americans are vaccinated against the coronavirus as possible to the people who helped Adolf Hitler rise to power in Nazi Germany. Because it's totally the same thing. And in May, she compared House Democrats' mask requirements in the Capitol to Jews being forced to wear gold stars during the Holocaust. She's and a real charmer. Again, totally the same. I could totally see how she would make that comparison. Now, on a separate note, actually, before I get to the more serious stuff, I, you know, I don't know what it is with these uh, far right wing nut Republicans and their uh, food Malapropisms? Is that the way to describe this, Des? Yeah, I would say so. I was reminded when I heard uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, gazpacho police comment of uh, this from, remember this from Texas Congressman Louis Gohmert, another Republican super genius, in another one of the all-time funniest clips from a wingnut congressman from way back in 2013 at the end of a Judiciary Committee hearing in the House where um, 
Barack Obama's then Attorney General Eric Holder was testifying, and Gohmert said this. The Attorney General failed to answer my uh, questions about what was after but he went back and regular order, Mr. Chairman. Aspersions on suspend. my asparagus. Aspersions on my asparagus. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, Eric Holder was casting aspersions on Louis Gohmert's asparagus, which was so funny that Eric Holder apparently never forgot it because a full year later during another House hearing, I think it was the next time that Holder was testifying again uh, before the committee and he was being questioned by Gohmert. And you really have to listen even more carefully to hear this one. This was a year later, this time from Holder. Well, let me ask you. The time uh, of the gentleman has expired. Unfortunately. Chair recognizes the Good luck gentleman. With asparagus. <laughs> Good luck with your asparagus, <laughs> Eric Holder said a year later, holding that one in, apparently. Okay. Uh, enough enough of this fun. Uh, <laughs> you know, I want to I hit this story. I've been carrying this around all week, but I haven't been able to get to it because it's one that you should know about. And because I think, uh, you know, I've been ranting lately about how Democrats and Republicans are covered completely differently by the national corporate media or the Beltway media, uh, you know, when it comes to the economy and so forth. And here's another prime example, which begs the question of why this is not national news. Why did I have to learn about this story by reading it at Daily Coast? Nothing against Daily Coast, but, you know, why isn't this national news? It was covered by the Orlando Sentinel and other local media last week. But at least for the moment, I have not seen any national outlets picking this up, despite the excellent job that local media in Florida are doing in covering it. And despite how this, frankly, would be a huge national story if the party affiliations were simply swapped from uh, Daily Coast's Rebecca Sager when a guy in a red hat arrives to knock on the doors of senior citizens in Miami-Dade County, Florida, living in a low-income building, suspicions are rightly raised. Fast forward to months later, when an 84-year-old grandmother's voter registration card arrived in the mail to show that her lifelong affiliation to the Democratic Party had been changed to Republican. Juan Carlos Salazar, 77 years old, a Dominican living in Little Havana and a registered Democratic voter since the 1970s, tells the Orlando Sentinel that in December he was confronted by a group of three canvassers wearing red hats and T-shirts that read Republican Party of Florida. They asked if he wanted to fill out an application to get a new voter ID. He says he, quote, didn't do anything but that he realized his party had been changed to Republican when he received his new registration in the mail. Salazar said in an interview with the Miami Herald in front of the public housing building that he's lived in for the past five years, quote, this is a system to eliminate voters so that voters can't participate in the primary. This is a scam, he said. Well, now the Democratic state attorney for Miami-Dade County uh, is promising to investigate allegations of fraud, announcing a new initiative that includes a voter protection hotline and task force. WPLG reports that Miami-Dade uh, Elections Department records show that more than 5,000 registered Democrats switched their party affiliation to Republican. 
Wow. And a slew of third-party registration victims have now come forward to report that their voter registration was switched without their permission. So I'm sure this is the type of election fraud that Florida Republicans are really, really concerned about, right? Am I right, Ron DeSantis? I'm sure the state's attorney general, who was handpicked by uh, DeSantis, is all over this, right? Well, apparently not. Nikki Freed, the uh, Florida's commissioner of agriculture and consumer services, and now a Democratic candidate for governor, who uh, Nicole Sandler has interviewed on this program, she wrote a letter uh, on Friday of last week, I believe, to U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland asking the Department of Justice to open up a probe. Because I guess Florida state law enforcement is not particularly concerned. So she had to go to the DOJ. Good luck there, Commissioner Freed. Miami-Dade County Mayor Daniel Levine Cava also wrote a letter to the local county prosecutor seeking an investigation. On February 2nd, a local news station reported on the seemingly fraudulent changes made to the voter registration statuses of a local resident of a Miami-Dade public housing building, uh, the mayor wrote, under the alleged guise of voter renewal efforts, canvassers entered the building engaged with elderly residents who claimed they did not approve sudden changes to their party affiliation. Now, the Republican Party of Florida uh, finally issued a statement saying they have worked to register hundreds of thousands of voters and conducts its voter registration operation in accordance with all applicable laws and regulations. The Republican Party of Florida is in the business of winning elections. Fraudulently registering voters does not help with that goal. We will thus review the allegations being made in Miami-Dade County. Now, of course, the Republican Party of Florida has a long history of screwing with uh, people's registrations. We've reported on that in great detail at brandblog.com over the years. They go on to note, election administration is not a perfect process. That is why election integrity continues to be a priority for the Republican Party of Florida. We're glad to see our Democratic colleagues recognize the same. We are sure they will now join us this next session in passing a bipartisan election integrity bill. Which, of course... That bill that they want to pass in Florida after previously calling the 2020 elections uh, safe and secure and everything else. Now they want to rewrite their election laws to make it harder for certain people to vote and make it easier for Republicans to cheat. But if potentially thousands and we don't know yet, but if potentially thousands of Republican voters had been changed into Democratic ones, by a Democratic Party operation like this, this would not only be wall-to-wall coverage on the wingnut outlets, the Republican wingnut outlets like Fox, it would be national news by now with you know state officials demanding accountability, demanding arrests be made. There would already be a bill filed in Congress to prevent this sort of thing from ever happening again anywhere in any state. But because... There is no, you know, non-wingnut media to uh, to pound these kind of stories. And Democrats, frankly, are lousy at banging these drums. Stories like this go mostly unnoticed by the national media, which prefer to focus on Democrats in disarray and Joe Biden's plummeting poll numbers and the route that Democrats are expected to see this November in the bargain. And even when there are blatant crimes by national Republicans 
even national, not just state stories, but national stories that are being reported by the national media. Even then, the corporate media seems to twist itself into knots to try to downplay this story or explain how their own reporting is really not that a big deal after all. Let's take a break. I will take a breath and uh, we will discuss uh, the story that I think we're all talking about this week, that corporate media just still can't seem to get right for some reason. We will try to help them after a break. I'm Brad Friedman and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Yep. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That is our bumper music for the B block here. <laughs> friendly. Such as it is. Yep. Friendly reminder. Uh, those famous lock her up chants from those Donald Trump rallies during the 2016 election were in response to the investigation of possible classified materials, emails that Hillary Clinton might have accidentally forwarded from her email account while she was serving as Secretary of State. That's why you heard lock her up, lock her up, repeated over and over and over again as if they were a Nazi rally in the 2016 elections. Now, as it turns out, uh, despite years of investigation by the DOJ, they never found that she sent any classified materials to anybody other than a couple of notes that included some classified information within them that was sent to her and that she then replied to. But I think people forget that. That's what those endless lock her up chants was all about. She needed to be thrown in jail because she might have sent some classified emails that actually it turns out she never did. So fast forward now to this helpful reminder for you and largely for the corporate mainstream media today from Merriam-Webster. The first two definitions of the word steal. And I know it's a basic word. Everybody, you know, should know what it means, but apparently... Some people don't. So the first two definitions, one, to take something that does not belong to you in a way that is wrong or illegal. That seems clear enough, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Or two, to take something that you are not supposed to have without asking for permission. That's it. Pretty simple word. You would think that our media would be able to remember that one syllable, not all that complicated word. I really don't know why our media has such a difficult time using it, whether it's in relation to Donald Trump's attempting over and over and over by, you know, dozens of different now very well documented and unquestionable ways and methods to steal the 2020 presidential election. He wasn't questioning the results. He wasn't trying to reverse or to undermine them. He tried to steal a presidential election. And it is still stunning to me how few media outlets 
particularly the large corporate media outlets, uh, simply cannot use that word to describe what we are all seeing, documented with more and more evidence each and every day, day after day after day. And now they seem to be having the same trouble describing the at least 15 boxes of presidential records that Donald Trump didn't take with him to Mar-a-Lago. He didn't leave the White House with them. He stole them from the White House. 15 boxes in blatant violation of the Presidential Records Act of 1975, which, after the scandals of Richard Nixon, by the way, all of which, all of which pale now in comparison to what we are, are what we are all now witnessing collectively. It is not even close. After those uh, Nixon scandals, Congress passed a law to explicitly make clear that documents, all of them, that were created by the White House, inside the White House, by the president, those documents don't actually belong to the president. They actually belong to the American people, not to the person serving as president at the time. It makes it a uh, the Presidential Records Act makes it a federal crime, a federal felony crime to alter or destroy those records in any way punishable by three years in prison. And while there are instances of other past presidents having accidentally taken an item or something that did not belong to them or taking something that they believed did belong to them, no U.S. president has ever absconded with, has ever stolen at least 15 boxes of presidential records and other items, as we now know that Donald Trump did. And as the National Archives has reportedly asked the Department of Justice to investigate in order to determine if a crime was committed. After they reported discovering classified documents among those that they finally got back from Trump just last last month, a year after he has uh, been out of office. And according to The New York Times this week, after months of negotiating over them. That's what gets me. Yeah. The National Archives negotiated with the, with Trump and his yes. Mar-a-Lago lawyers to say, hey, you know, could you please, maybe, please give us back those presidential Apparently, records that don't belong to you? Apparently so. Uh, Mr. Trump handed over the materials after several months of back and forth between his lawyers and the National Archives, as reported by the Times' Michael Schmidt and Maggie Haberman. Several months of back and forth. Over what? The stolen documents and other items that Trump stole from the White House when he left. They had to negotiate over this? And while everyone refers to these 15 boxes that the National Archives was able to retrieve after months of back and forth with Trump's lawyers, uh, how much did they not uh, retrieve? They said they got 15 boxes. How many boxes were there originally? How much stolen material, classified or otherwise, did the National Archives not get back or not even know about at this point? The Times goes on to report, this was on Monday, that the National Archives said in a statement that it obtained the boxes in mid-January and that Mr. Trump's lawyers told the agency that, quote, they are continuing to search for additional presidential records that belong to the National Archives. Continuing to search. That sounds like they know that there is more that was not turned over. 
It was also confirmed by the National Archives that a number of those records were torn up into pieces. Some were taped back together by aides. Others were still in pieces, which is another clear violation of the Presidential Records Act, which uh, bans destroying or altering in any way records that are created at the White House. The National Archives, as it uh, as we noted at the end of yesterday's broadcast, has now reportedly asked the DOJ to examine whether any of this was actually a crime, according to the DOJ. And and the DOJ reportedly told the archives to ask their inspector general to look into it. Really? And, and, and for now, that's where the thread of this story seems to end. We don't yet know if the IG actually did look into it and if they did, what what they found, what happened next, or if they declined to look into it and they passed it back to DOJ or if they did nothing at all. That's sort of where that thread of this story is currently at. And all of this in every story that I've read from both The Times and The Post seems to downplay all of this. Oh, Trump wasn't paying close attention to what was taken out from the White House because they left in such a rush because during the transition he was, you know, taken up with time challenging the results of the election. They mean, of course, that he was trying to steal the election. Exactly. Or that he had a, a long, uh, impossible to break habit as a businessman of tearing up documents after he finished reading them, which, A, is not a thing that legitimate businessmen actually do. They keep referring to this as if, oh, well, he was a businessman. So, you know, he wasn't used to being president. As a businessman, he would always just tear up his documents. That is not a normal thing. And B, frankly, it's a BS excuse for violating the Presidential Records Act repeatedly over years and years in the White House when he was repeatedly told by the White House counsel and several chiefs of staff. And he has tons and tons of, of uh, legal, outside legal advisors. He was told that he was not allowed to do that. He was not allowed to tear up these documents. But, you know, old habits die hard. He's a businessman. What's a poor businessman who's used to tearing up incriminating documents after he becomes president to do, poor fellow? As the Post, uh, Washington Post noted in their report on Wednesday about the National Archives asking the uh, DOJ to investigate whether a crime was committed here, quote, federal law makes it a crime to destroy government records, but it requires that a person know specifically they are breaking the law when doing so. Well, he knew he was breaking the law when doing so. It, it was reported to him. It was told to him by the White House legal counsel and by several chiefs of staff. But the Post goes on to say, well, that could be difficult to do for Trump. To, uh, sh to prove that he knew that what he was doing was illegal. That could be difficult to do for Trump, who advisors say tore up documents out of habit, leaving staffers to retrieve and re reassemble piles of torn paper. But in the very next sentence from Washington Post, according to people familiar with the matter, Trump had been counseled by at least two chiefs of staff and the White House counsel to follow the law on preserving documents. They told him repeatedly, don't do that. So, yeah, maybe in the first week or so, maybe the first month or so at best of being president of the United States, that maybe that could have been an excuse if we would like to be generous. 
But he was president for four years, four hellishly long years. But darn the luck, they just couldn't break the old man of the habit, which he had absolutely no control over, Desi Doyen. I mean, how could you can't? He's a businessman. They all tear up the papers as soon as they're done reading them, <laughs> according to the Post, according to the Times. And of course, it's just it's just remarkable how the corporate media is downplaying this they and excusing it. Uh, every single story that I have read, uh, he you know he wasn't trying to cover up a crime. It would be you know quote difficult to show that this person knew that they were breaking the law when they were tearing up these documents, hundreds, thousands of them. Who knows how many over four years in office? I cited uh, on uh, on yesterday's show, uh, Citizens for Ethics and Responsibility, and Washington's longtime chief counsel, who noted quote Trump clearly violated the records the Records Act in multiple ways. If they don't investigate, given how flagrant these violations appear to be, it would basically be saying there is no accountability under the statute. She also added, quote, imagine the scenario if Trump was reelected and what that would mean. And there was no consequences for all of these violations. He could have an entire White House that just thumbed their nose at the Presidential Records Act entirely. She said, I understand through the climate that we live in, everything is viewed through a political lens, but I don't think that should stop the Justice Department at all. And she is right. And yet, at the end of the Times report yesterday on the archives seeking a probe from the uh, Department of Justice into all of this after they found classified materials stolen from the White House in those 15 boxes, the uh, New York Times does Trump this very nice favor at the very end of the report. Quote, if Mr. Trump was found to have taken materials with him that were still classified at the time that he left the White House, prosecuting him would be extremely difficult Mm. And it would pit the Justice Department against Mr. Trump at a time when Attorney General Merrick Garland is trying to depoliticize the department. So, sorry, prosecuting Trump for any of the well-documented criminal acts that he actually committed would be politicizing the department. Nice alibi if you can get it. And the uh, Times uh, concludes this way. The department and the FBI also still have significant scars from its investigation into whether Mrs. Clinton mishandled classified information as the Bureau was accused of unfairly tarnishing her and interfering in the 2016 election. Yeah, because they did. Because they broke with long-standing protocol at the Department of Justice and the FBI by, A, taking, uh, I'm sorry, talking repeatedly about the investigation while it was ongoing, and B, they were investigating, in violation of their own guidelines, a candidate right before an election that the candidate was involved in. Donald Trump right now is not a candidate for any office, and if he were, by the way, the election would still be almost three years away. So why is that an excuse that the New York Times seems to be handing to the Department of Justice to not do the right thing here? How is that a, quote, extremely difficult problem for the DOJ as the time ends their report? Of course, it's not. It's not a problem. But the Times seems to be working overtime here, as is the Post, to make absolutely any and all excuses that they can to come up with 
in order to declare that Trump's crimes to uh, were somehow not crimes at all. They weren't crimes at all. Even if they were, they'd be impossible to prosecute because, you know, that would look political and stuff. Well, so much for the rule of law, at least for Republican presidents anyway, apparently. So while the, the media and the DOJ appear to be downplaying and or ignoring blatant criminal acts, at least Congress does not appear to be doing so. That's good. And they continue to do the Department of Justice's work for them, apparently. According to the Times today, the House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol has discovered gaps, gaps, gaps in official White House telephone logs from the day of the riot. That, according to the Times on Thursday, finding few records of calls by President Donald J. Trump from critical hours when investigators know that he was making them. Investigators have not uncovered evidence that any official records were tampered with or deleted. Oh, thank God. And it is well known that Mr. Trump used his personal cell phone and those of his aides routinely to talk with aides, congressional allies and outside confidence. Good. If that's the case, subpoena his cell phone records. Subpoena Donald Trump's cell phone records. They've already apparently subpoenaed many of his aides which is how they know that there was a whole bunch of calls made that don't show up in the White House records. But he was in the middle of the crime of trying to steal a presidential election. At that point, on that day, on January 6th, by hurling thousands of his supporters at the U.S. Capitol to prevent the final certification of the 2020 presidential election. The uh, Times notes the sparse call records are the latest major obstacle to the panel's central mission, recreating what Mr. Trump was doing behind closed doors during the crucial moments of the assault on Congress by a mob of his supporters. The panel is still awaiting additional material from the National Archives, uh, which keeps the official White House logs and from telecommunications companies that have been subpoenaed for the personal cell phone records of Trump's inner circle, like his son, Eric, and Kimberly Guilfoy, the fiance of Guilfoyle. What did I say? Guilfoy. But Guilfoyle, you yes. got the point. <laughs> uh, he's the fiance, the, the Fox, former Fox News host, now the fiance of Donald Trump Jr., uh, good, good. How about Donald Trump's cell phone? Many of the calls uh, the bipartisan House Select Committee is aware of did not show up in the official White House logs. And I will say that when the uh, Select Committee was first formed and they said repeatedly that they wanted to document every single call, every single email, every text message and, and document that was created or used on January 6th coming in or out of the Oval Office, I was actually kind of skeptical. Uh, but apparently they damn well mean it. That is exactly what they have. They co completely, literally seem hell bent, thankfully, on doing exactly that. And thank God they are because, well, if the DOJ is doing it, nobody seems to know it. The revelations about incomplete calls come as Mr. Trump is under increasing scrutiny for apparently violating the Presidential Records Act by ripping up some White House documents and taking others with him when he left office. He took them with them with him, Des. That's he, all. He just took them. He had them in his uh, he had them with him. 
The House Oversight Committee, thankfully, on Thursday announced their own new investigation now into what it called potential serious violations, yes, of the law, including that Mr. Trump took, stole, New York Times, 15 boxes of White House documents to his Palm Beach, Florida compound and attempted to destroy presidential records. Trump's conduct, said uh, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, New York Democrat and chairwoman of the Oversight Committee, quote, involves a former president potentially violating a criminal law by intentionally removing records, including communications with a foreign leader from the White House and reportedly attempting to destroy records by tearing them up. Good. Thank God for Congress right now. We'll see what happens uh, after the midterm elections. But thank God right now you've got Democrats leading these investigations that apparently Joe Biden's uh, attorney general, Merrick Garland, just doesn't seem to want to. Or if he's doing it, he's really good at keeping secrets. So I'm glad that House Oversight is now doing that. But why isn't the DOJ, at least as far as we know? And now adding to all of that today is now this via Axios. While President Trump was in office, staff in the White House residence periodically discovered wads of printed paper clogging a toilet and believed that the president had flushed pieces of paper. That, according to Maggie Haberman in her upcoming book, Confidence Man, the revelation by Haberman, a New York Times White House correspondent who apparently held on to this reporting for her book that, by the way, is not even being published until October, adds, as Axios notes, a vivid new dimension to Donald Trump's lapses in preserving government documents. Well, I should say so. It also adds, uh, by the way, vivid new dimensions to this comment from Donald Trump, which you may recall way back in 2019 when he was ordering the EPA to change a few regulations for household fixtures. People are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, as opposed to once. They end up using more water. So EPA is looking at that very strongly <laughs> at my suggestion. So... Well, first, uh, people are flushing toilets 10 and 15 times? I know. It was very funny and bizarre when he said it, and nobody had any idea what the hell he was talking about. And I think now we do. <laughs> I, I, I mean, we don't know that it has anything to do with this. And by the way, this report from Haberman is one person, one source is all we got on it. Don't know if it happened or not. But boy, it sure does make a lot more sense out of that comment that People are flushing toilets 10 or 15 times and they're having trouble. So he's going to order the EPA to change it. He's not doing that, you know, just for a favor for uh, America. Toilet, for big toilet for, for either. Big toilet. Well, he definitely wasn't because none of the appliance manufacturers really asked him to do any of that. Right. They didn't ask him to do any of that. And by the way, you could say, oh, well, he's a. You know, he's a hotel. Uh, uh, he's, he's got hotels. And it will cost him more to have uh, toilets wasteful that toilets, have wasteful, yes. right? Your water bill is way higher, which so is I'm the not, whole point of making them efficient. I'm not saying that's exactly why he said that about the 10 or 15 times. I'm not saying that, but it sure kind of seems like it now. Anyway, 
We know about all of this because of both the congressional committees and I should I will add the reporting by outlets by The New York Times and The Washington Post, despite how they both report on these matters as clear crimes. Just before immediately downplaying them as things that, you know, Trump shouldn't worry. He probably can't be prosecuted for them, even if prosecutors wanted to. They wouldn't do it. Because it would all, you know, make the DOJ look politicized. So nothing to see here other than what we just told you you should see here. Democratic pollster Matt McDermott points out on Twitter today that the uh, New York Times repeatedly gave the Hillary Clinton email story page one coverage time after time after time. And he includes a graphic showing all of these front pages, at least half a dozen of them. And yet. Their story on Trump being accused of improperly removing boxes of classified material from the White House. Where did that story run at the New York Times? On page 15. Uh, Hillary Clinton maybe accidentally mishandled some uh, emails, some classified documents in them. That was page one over and over again. Trump absolutely blatantly stealing boxes and boxes of documents in clear violation of the law, including classified documents. That runs New York Times, page 15. Vox.com pointed out back in 2019, an analysis from uh, from 2016 coverage published in the Columbia Journalism Review at the time. In just six days, they wrote, the New York Times ran as many cover stories about Hillary Clinton's emails as they did about all of the policy issues combined in the 69 days leading up to the election. And they note the Times was hardly alone in this regard. As Mark Sumner at the uh, thankfully not major corporate media outlet Daily Coast observes today. It's also somewhat illuminating to visit the New York Times webpage on the morning after they reported that Trump illegally held on to classified information. He says, because a quick where's Waldo of that of that uh, web page would find no Waldo. To be fair, he says, the story does get one small headline way down the screen below reporting on the latest Olympics, a piece about worn down pharmacists and the, quote, real cost of cheap chicken. And then you find the story. He says what almost every media outlet seems to be ignoring is that this isn't a whoopsie. It's a crime. Every time Donald Trump ripped up a document, that was a crime. Every time he tried to flush one down the White House crapper, that was a crime. Everything he boxed up and carted off to Mar-a-Lago, that was a crime. In his statement on Thursday morning, Sumner notes, the one where Trump is, yes, still raging about Hillary Clinton and her emails, Trump claims that there are, quote, Two legal standards, one for Republicans and one for Democrats. He notes Trump is absolutely right about that. Sumner says both the Department of Justice and the major media treated Hillary Clinton's handling of emails as if they were major crimes. They greeted even the possibility that she had mishandled a classified document as if it were a disqualifying action. Hillary Clinton would have been president of the United States, he argues, had not both the FBI and the New York Times spent the last days before the 2016 election hammering the idea that there might, might 
BMS handled email from Clinton on a laptop that they had already examined. Turns out there wasn't. But Trump, sure, he shredded documents in violation of the law. They treat it as a laughable habit. Sure, he tried to flush documents down the toilet. Maggie, Maggie Haberman saved that one for a book. And sure, he carted off crates that now appear to have contained classified materials to his own home, where he may have been showing off nuclear codes to people in the all-you-can-eat shrimp line. A former White House aide, he notes, Sumner notes, even claims that Trump sometimes ate papers after meeting with his personal attorney, which, of course, is a well-known habit of completely innocent people. But hey, right, Sumner, it's not like he actually handled his email according to the instructions from the previous Secretary of State, testified about it at length, and cooperated with every possible investigation into how those emails had been handled. Oh no, he didn't do anything that heinous. So look, I get it. The deadly attack on the U.S. Capitol that resulted in major injuries to more than 140 law enforcement officials and resulted in nine people dying. Sure, I get it. It's the largest investigation that the U.S. Department of Justice has ever carried out. They're busy. They indicted more than 700 people. And they're still looking for more. But that was just one piece of Trump's attempt to steal a presidential election before our very eyes and Everyone knows it, which is what is so maddening. Everyone knows it. The evidence is overwhelming. But yeah, I get it. It's a lot of work. On top of arresting all of those insurrectionists acting at the behest of Donald Trump, sure, I guess, let Congress, with its far fewer resources, do all of the work to expose all of these crimes. But the Presidential Records Act, that's a chip shot, man. That's an easy one. That law is clear. Trump flagrantly violated it. It calls for as many as three years in prison, presumably, by the way, for each act of destroying or altering or stealing a presidential record that belongs to the National Archives and the American people. A former Democratic national security advisor from the Bill Clinton administration, Sandy Berger, he stole a couple of pages of documents from the archives. He was fined. He was sentenced to two years of probation. Nobody questioned that. That was a huge scandal. Fox ran that one round the clock. So if it's too much of a heavy lift to throw Donald Trump in jail for trying to steal a presidential election, how about you go the easy route, Merrick Garland? How about you just toss him in jail for stealing and altering and destroying reams of presidential documents? That would do the trick. And it would prove that, yeah, Republican presidents can still be held accountable for something. This is an easy one, Mr. Attorney General. Lock him up. Green News Report is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So it's really hot out here in Los Angeles today. Oh, yes, it is. And I don't mean that. I'm not saying that to rub it into uh, folks elsewhere in the country where it's uh, quite cold. But we're actually pushing all-time records today. 88 degrees uh, is uh, the high for today in February. Yeah. That is not normal. People who are not from L.A., they think, oh, it's always warm out in Los Angeles. It is not. Uh, I looked through the... Um through the the records, the you know the daily uh, temperature records, high lows, normals, etc. The uh, uh, the the average temperature for today is sixty seven point nine degrees. Yes, which is but very nice, but not not eighty eight pushing ninety degrees. Twenty degrees higher than the norm. And it was interesting when I was looking at those records, Des. All of the record highs for I think it, it, the record high actually is eighty eight for today. We'll see if if we hit it. But when I was looking at all of the high temperature records, they're all pretty much all like from the the 2000s. Yeah. A few from the 1990s, some, you know, 1981, occasionally from 1970s. But they're all like really recent. Then you look at all of the record lows. They're all from the 1800s. Yes. And that is what we expected to see and is now coming to pass as climate scientists predicted that we would see way more heat records being set and far fewer cold records being set all around the world. And that is what we are seeing now. Thanks then, to global warming. And then they're going to have the uh, Super Bowl in here in Los Angeles on Sunday. And everyone is and they're, they're I'll bet you do dollars to donuts. They're going to say a beautiful winter day in Los <laughs> Angeles for Super Bowl 50, whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, the National Weather Service has actually issued a, uh, a heat advisory for Super Bowl Sunday. So let's hope that the uh, players are OK out there on the field. Oh, they'll be fine. They're going to call it lovely and a beautiful Super Bowl Sunday. It could be the you hottest watch. Super Bowl ever. We'll yep. see. Yep. And they're all going to say it's lovely. Anyway, speaking of, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Rather than come forward with what their own scientists had concluded, they engaged in a campaign of denial and delay, which continues on today. Climate scientists rebuke big oil during House hearing. Disturbing new data finds hot oceans are the new normal. Plus, you may not know unless you've driven an electric vehicle before that once you drive one, you ain't ever going back. Fact check. True. Biden White House announces another major EV manufacturing plant for the U.S. All of those major stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We saw restrictions placed on uh, production here in the United States, and now we find ourselves on the brink of war, where literally thousands of lives hang in the balance uh, because of climate hysteria. Uh, what are you talking about, Congressman Michael Cloud of Texas? This is your... 
Green News Report. Desi Doyen, I don't even know what the hell that guy is talking about. I can't even make a snarky comment about it because he's nuts. Yes. Climate science denying House Republicans were up to their old tricks in a House Oversight Committee hearing this week (sighs) that was focused on the fossil fuel industry's campaign of lies and disinformation that cast doubt on man-made global warming. The hearing also focused on whether big oil's new promises to cut their emissions are adequate under the Paris Climate Agreement. Oh, I'm sure they are. Spoiler alert. They aren't. Oil companies Exxon, Chevron, BP, and Shell declined to attend and were postponed to next month. Instead, climate scientists detailed how those oil companies knew for decades that burning their product causes dangerous man-made global warming, then lied about it to the public and are still delaying the shift to clean energy. The scientists noted that the oil industry is directing only a tiny fraction of their investments to renewable energy solutions. Penn State University's Dr. Michael Mann explained how big oil's public declarations to reduce emissions are belied by the fact that they plan to expand drilling. They love to talk about how they're they're going to decrease the carbon intensity of uh, their fossil fuels. Um, That's sort of like, uh, you know, your doctor telling you that you need to cut fat from your diet, and so you switch to 40% reduced fat potato chips, but you eat twice as many of them. That doesn't help. The net amount of fat that you're taking in actually increases. I I just, I I don't have any snarky comments anymore. It is madness. And that madness matters. A new analysis of climate data by The Guardian finds that a third of Americans are currently experiencing rapid, above-average rates of temperature increase. 499 U.S. counties have already breached the 1.5 degrees Celsius warming limit outlined in the U.N. Paris Climate Agreement. Nearly 130 million Americans across large swaths of the country have seen soaring temperature increases since record-keeping began in the late 1800s. The analysis also found that the United States as a whole has heated up over the past century due to climate warming emissions from fossil fuels. It also matters because the oceans absorb much of the atmospheric heat trapped by humanity's greenhouse gas emissions. A new study from California's Monterey Bay Aquarium analyzed marine temperatures over the past 150 years and found that marine heat waves used to be rare a century ago, but every year since 2014, at least half of the global ocean surface has recorded extreme heat. In 2019, that hit 60%. The researchers warned that marine heat waves have, quote, become the new normal and are yet another piece of evidence that should be a wake-up call to act on climate change. Should be. I'm sure everything's fine. A different study focused on refuges for coral, where cooler currents provide coral reefs a bit of protection from global warming. Researchers found that those refuges, however, are disappearing faster than expected. And that matters because coral reefs are the nurseries for marine life that millions of people rely on for their primary food source. But some good news. Please. President Biden this week announced that yet another major electric vehicle equipment manufacturer is headed to the United States. Australian auto electrical equipment giant Tritium, which makes electric vehicle chargers, will build its first American manufacturing plant in Tennessee. And it's going to have a ripple effect beyond and far beyond the one state. 
Tritium's new facility is going to produce up to 30,000 of these chargers every year. They'll use American parts, American iron, American steel, and they'll be installed up and down the highways and corridors in our communities all across the country. So the benefits are going to ripple to thousands of miles in every direction. Well, that's good news. By the way, have you heard President Biden utter the words Tesla? He did this time. What? Yes. It took long enough. It's as if it was a car company created on Mars. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. All right. Well, it would be nice to leave you with that uh, good news story there. But this just in uh, exclusive from Washington Post. Some going back to what we were talking about in the last block. Some Trump records that were taken to Mar-a-Lago were clearly marked as classified, including documents at the top secret level. Wow. Too bad they can't prosecute him. He didn't know what he was doing. He can't. He doesn't know what the word classified top level top secret means. Right? Haven't read the full story. That's the alert. But just guessing, lock them up. I'm sure we will pick it up on an upcoming uh, broadcast. Until then, my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We hope we made it worth your while. Our apologies if we didn't. <laughs> you, if, you, uh, if you did enjoy it or want to share it or download it or hear it again... You can download the full program for free at bradblog.com anytime, all of which is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate for a one-time donation or an automated monthly donation of any amount you like. It is all greatly appreciated and very much needed. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me at the Brad Blog. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.